Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Knife Perspective, episode 061 with Neil Warren from Maximus Knives. How are you doing tonight, Neil? I'm doing great. You doing? Uh, we finally got you uh, squared away. Up. Yeah. We, we said it's a little, a little low on your side, but at least we can hear each other. So. Yeah, we can hear each other. That's all that matters. Yeah. So uh, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here finally. Yeah. So uh for the listeners, we're we're going to do some of these uh, two person interviews to make sure we get uh, we're going to have shows twice a month. And Neil's our first one where uh, we're kind of doing the just two person interview and we're going to release shows on the first and the 15th of the month. So you'll hopefully be a lot more consistently getting our uh, lovely voices in your ear holes. So hope you guys enjoy that. And yeah, so that's kind of the update. What are you working in your What are you working on in your shop there, Neil? I've got orders stacked up for Christmas. I've got a. Uh, I'm still trying to somehow in between all that get my first short sword done. I've got some folders on the bench since I started making friction folders, and the like. I say the Christmas orders. I got a couple of six piece sets and a four piece kitchen set that I'm trying to get all done with multi piece handles and all the all the fun stuff that seems to take forever. Yeah especially when you're only doing it in the evenings part-time. Yeah. Yeah. The couple six piece orders. That's uh, that's a lot of work. It is. It is. I mean, but the beautiful thing about it is when you're doing batch work, it's like, okay, I'm doing kitchen knives, you know, each there's, so there's going to be like three chef knives of different lengths and a smaller petty chef than a paring knife and a cleaver. So you know, running through basically six of the same kind of grind, it's kind of quicker. It's like, okay, I got my 36 grit on here. Let me hit these just boom, 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 boom. Then go back and run through all the other grits real fast. And you can at least get the bevels done pretty quick on them. Yeah. I, I, I feel like going grinding something that's only a inch tall versus something that's two inches tall. It just takes infinitely more time. It's strange. I don't know. It's weird. Yep. Doesn't seem like the the angle of taking off the metal was all that much more, but uh for me it goes a lot slower. So Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm not even doing any kind of crazy hard magna cut or anything either. So Yeah. Wait till you start doing that. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> the the big batch of knife center orders that I've been doing are all magna cut. So mm. uh did thirty six uh, pocket bush crafter so it's only a three inch blade and inch and a half tall and yeah still took me like like a week and a half to to grind all of them you didn't hollow was, grind them no i did a flat grind oh <laughs> so yeah they're 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 relatively thin to start with so they're all okay. like 0.11 thick uh, okay so not not super thick but <laughs> Talk about Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knife dealers. You can find our dealers at Old Town Cutlery and 
you'll hopefully find Cage Daily Knives along with a long established relationship with Knife Center for Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can find Dogwood Custom Knives also at the Cook Station. And you can find Cage Daily Knives at Northside Cutlery also. Tell Kevin hi and uh, see what he has in stock. He had about eight or nine knives when I stopped by there the other day. So definitely check him out. And for uh, guild watches, uh, got the South Carolina custom knife makers guild. It's going to be at Dano's shop there in uh, Greenville, South Carolina on November 19th. So get in touch with him. If you want more information, you can talk to uh, either Dan, Ben Seacrest, or John Medlin, I think, are all three of, or three of the officers that I know of with the South Carolina Custom Knife Makers Guild. Uh, all three of them should be able to help you with uh, getting there. It sounds like there's going to be a ton of good food from the last podcast. So definitely go check that out. For shout outs and gear talk, Neil, do you have any anybody you want to shout out for this show? You know, I'm going to shout out my uh, my buddy B. Cohn, who's on the Work For It podcast, um, just because he's started getting, I don't know if you've seen or heard, but he's got a local carbon fiber company that's doing a lot of crushed carbon fiber and some proprietary unidirectional carbon fiber um, that has been nicknamed the Black Pearl carbon fiber, uh, that he's actually going to start um, selling. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, I want to shout him out because he's getting that going and it's a great deal for knife makers because the price per 12 by 12 tile that he's going to have, you should be able to get six handle sets out of those easily. And it's going to save you. So you're going to get like a good 50% savings over buying scales by themselves by getting, you know, one tile at a time from him. So very cool. You know, and he's a really good dude. I mean, he's, he's, trying to do something to help the community and and get that all out there yeah he's an awesome guy when this show comes out i will probably have already been on i recorded a wfi2 with him that's right you did yeah i think he said he would be be releasing on the 25th of october so that's gonna be here before we know it so yeah oh yeah stay on all that christmas stuff guys it's gonna be here uh gotta get ready for all that black friday stuff so absolutely one of my shout outs is uh, the Catchbit podcast. Uh, they, it's called the Catchbit Show. They mainly talk about slip joint knives and stuff. Uh, Mike Moran, Jason Ritchie, and Neil Punchard are the three guys. You can uh, find Mike's knives at Mike Moran Knives on Instagram, and Jason Ritchie's is Ritchie underscore handmade underscore knives. Uh, both make some pretty awesome slip joints. Felt a little bad about myself when I saw Jason's only been making knives for two years and how nice his knives are. <laughs> Neil doesn't do any social media whatsoever, but if you get Knife Magazine and some of the other books, he's written quite a few books and is a very avid collector of uh, slip joint knives and knows a ton about Sheffield and stuff like that. They uh, they got me to buy this uh, Sheffield Exhibition Knives. Uh, I got it on uh, knifemaking.com. Uh, it's written by Clawson Watson uh, Mickle, uh, but it's all the Sheffield Exhibition knives from uh, England. So that back in the day, they would have like an exhibition event, I guess, sort of like Blade Show, and uh, they would put their their top knife makers on it. So uh, there's one in there that's like it's a square, but it's like 47 
folding blades out of it. Crazy. <laughs> uh, super cool book. Uh, and you think about them doing all that by hand, fitting them all by hand. Just the skill of the wood or of the, the makers. They aren't using CNCs or anything like that for that stuff. And another person That's I wanted wild. to give a shout out to is B Brannon underscore Southpaw on Instagram. Been talking to him a few times on Instagram and a super cool kid. I've uh, been making, starting making knives and give him some love. And my, uh, my last person to shout out is Nick Bialu. He's the edge professional on Instagram, much easier to say than his last French name, but he just started a new job uh, with the, he's the sales manager for RH Prada. They sell Arkansas stones and pretty excited. He's going to bring some stones out. Uh, I know when I worked at the machine shop, the translucent Arkansas stone, a couple of the knife makers, they were like, not let me touch it at all. It was like, can I just like, <laughs> can I just sharpen my knife? They're like, no. So uh, they would use it to, for their like machined vice and stuff. If they got a little ding or whatever, they'd slowly stone it back out. So it was for super high precision surfaces. I think it's like equivalent to like eight to 10,000 grit somewhere in there. So all the natural stones don't have like an exact grit, all of them cut just a little bit differently. So, uh, but those translucent ones are super cool. Love them. So, Nick, congratulations on your new job and look forward to all the stuff you got going on with all that stuff. So now, wasn't he on the live that you you were doing the other yeah. night? He was showing off the mm-hmm. stones. Yeah, yeah. you were showing off some stones. I, 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 I personally use Arkansas stones and a uh, homemade uh, hardback leather strop to finish the edges on my blades. Okay. Only I mean, there's all the wicked edge stuff or whatever, you know, all that stuff that's out there. I'm not saying it's gimmicky. It's very precise. You can set your angles and all that kind of stuff. I've just learned my entire life on stones. So, you know, muscle memory and all that stuff, you get to where you just know, like, I'm going to hold this at this angle. You can feel the edge biting where it needs to bite and just give it a couple of licks and you're good to go. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't used a ton of natural stones. I've been using a lot of the vitrified diamond stones from triple B handmade mm-hmm. since i'm doing all the crazy stainless stuff those have been working out pretty good yeah that makes sense yeah i've also re- realized that i need to wear a respirator when i'm gluing up super glue because apparently i am um, get sinus infections and stuff when i breathe in the accelerator so oh the the fume the fumes actually actually hurt you i mean that's a novel idea that fumes can be you know I, <laughs> bad for you i just in. i just glued together a couple without my respirator on and uh my nose like instantly started stuffing up and uh usually takes like a week or more to work its way through and out so you know it's funny all the time i've spent during my life uh, like in metal shop even in high school and all that kind of stuff we didn't wear respirators back then and now if i get on the bench grinder and I start grinding and I don't have my respirator on. I mean, I can literally grind for five minutes and I will have a massive sinus headache the next morning. Yeah. 100%. Like, even if I'm like, I'm just going to grind this real quick. Just, I'm just going to knock this edge off of something real fast. It doesn't matter what kind of metal or anything, any particulate dust gets in my sinuses. It's over. Yeah. And it's a miserable day the next day, the entire day. Stay safe out there, guys. 
Yeah, use the PPE. Yeah, use the PPE. And if you want to get some of your PPE, I know Jantz has a good selection of PPE. I know they carry some of the respirators and different things. So make sure you check them out and thank them for supporting the podcast. You can use KP Grip uh, for 10% off handle material there at Jantz. So definitely check them out. They've got all sorts of things you can possibly want. So great great supporter of the podcast so neil uh you've talked on you've been like one of the one of on all sorts of different podcasts but you want to give uh (laughs) give the listeners a little bit of where you grew up yeah okay so i grew up in east texas up in the kilgore longview area i I was a little further back than that just a, a quick i was born in greenville mississippi and i only lived there until i was one year old so i don't have a lot of like I grew up there history, except for every single summer I spent back there. Okay. Um, we would get dropped off for about a month with my dad's parents. His father was a Korean war vet and a boxer and a drill instructor after Korea. Okay. <laughs> so he was, of course, he was softer on the grandkids and he was his kids. But yeah, we were still uh, by the time I was seven years old, it was like, OK, you're going to get up and at 5 a.m. and you're going to come out here and have coffee with me on the swing before I go to work. All the grandkids, you know, if they were boys, were having coffee with him on the swing. Nice. You know, before work. I mean, it was just how he was. Yes, sir. No, sir. Of uh, 1,000%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother could sling. I called him Papa and Mama on that side. But my yeah. Mama could sling her slipper like from the there was the living room and then it was like you kind of came out into the kitchen and then there was a hallway down in an L shape. Okay. And I literally took off running one time down that hallway and from her recliner, she threw a slipper like a boomerang and hit me in the back of the head going down the hallway. Whoa, I deserved it. <laughs> I deserved it. But yeah, I mean, it was, you know, just Southern, Southern growing up kind of a thing, but, but yeah, so I spent every summer there every, and you know, and there's a lot of stuff that I learned being over there every summer. My parents both worked growing up around the Kilgore Longview area. They, my dad did all kinds of odd jobs uh, for a while. He did some oil field. He did some truck driving, loved to hunt and fish. He fished a lot, (laughs) a whole lot for quite a while. He did some handyman work for a while. So I learned a lot of house building type stuff and all that kind of mechanicals when I was 10 you know okay. i started learning mechanical stuff around the age of eight to ten years old yeah you know because i wanted to but yeah like i say we grew up not with a whole lot of money or anything like that so anything we could do to hustle up a dollar i mean i mowed yards when i was 13 and never stopped working since yeah so yeah yeah it's uh it's always amazing knowing how to fix stuff and oh yeah we we have it so much easier than uh like our parents had it with youtube and stuff uh, you could punch in like your model or whatever and pretty much have a tutorial on how to fix it or at least something similar. So like our my dad was blown away that I figured out how to fix our dryer. Yeah, Googling and doing a little bit of research and saved me a uh, six, seven hundred dollars on the, the service call. Oh, 100 percent. You know what I think they need to do with YouTube tutorials, though? Is every now and again, they should have an overdub come in and yell at you on how to hold the flashlight. <laughs> because like that was back in the day that's what you got you know your dad was your youtube yeah you know and then, you're not doing <laughs> that the right. time it was yeah you're not doing that right hold the flashlight like that i can't see you know don't shine in my eyes yeah 
That's funny. Yeah. So you you said you spent your your summers there. Was that all all the way up through high school or? Oh yeah, all the way up through high school. So I was in Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. So basically, in between campouts, um, from the age of ten and up, between campouts is when we would go because we camped every single month. At the, our scout troop didn't slack off at all. So every month we were camping. Rain, shine, snow, freezing temperatures did not matter. Was there that much snow in Mississippi? No, but it. Well, okay. So, I mean, like we had snowmageddon down here last year. So we, every now and again, we would get really cold freezing temperatures in East Texas. But yeah, so we would still go camping and it didn't matter. And it's worse when it's like 33 degrees and nothing's freezing, okay. but it's raining. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so much worse. But yeah, so we would, we would, we would make sure and, and make all the camp outs we could. But like I said, that's the only time we might miss one is if we went there or something. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I did a I did quite a bit of Boy Scout stuff, but I never finished off my Eagle Scout. I got I did probably about a quarter of Boy Scouts before I got involved in a bunch of sports and stuff with seventh and eighth grade and then never really continued. But our yeah. our Boy Scout troop wasn't extremely active, the one that I was in, and once my dad that makes once my dad and I kind of stopped leading it, <laughs> like pretty much everybody just did their own thing and it dissolved. So Yeah. Yeah, which is a little unfortunate, but whatever. So, what was the what was the first knife you remember growing up? <laughs> this is going to be a fun story. So, when I was real little, I mean, like four years old. Okay, that was the first time I shot a, a gun. Even I was four years old, and my dad got me and my brother some of those Chinese, like Rambo looking survival knives with all the stuff in the bottom of it yeah i had one of those at four years old okay and his only rule was don't trace each other with them you know they're not toys they're tools at four years old right wow of course i ended up chasing my brother around the yard (laughs) my older brother you know i wasn't trying to stab him but i was just chasing him and i had it in my hand yeah and it got taken away from me. My dad actually took it and stabbed it in a tree so high that he goes if you really want it you're gonna have to climb up there and get it And it was like, I mean, he got on a ladder and stabbed it way up the tree. So basically it's like, you know, (laughs) yeah, it got taken away from me and I didn't get another knife from him for like another two years. And it was just like a little single folder pocket knife. Okay. You know, so you said you're an older brother. How many siblings did you have? Just Just one. one. I just got the one. Yeah. So what was your, what was the second one you got? You said a little folder. It was like a little folder, a, uh. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think I want to say that it was a buck, a buck folder. Okay. Then in high school, throughout high school, my dad used to go to auctions all the time. You know, the little home sale auctions. Mm-hmm. And I came across a, oh, I want to say a Gerber. It was one of the old, old Gerbers that had the wood handle with the brass bolster and the brass butt on it. Okay. It was like a four inch blade. It was huge for a pocket knife yeah and i carried that all throughout high school i had that for the longest time i, I carried it in boy scouts and everything i had my little boy scout folder but i kind of kept it as a novelty you know i didn't want to screw it up yeah so i carried that big old gerber in my pocket all the time of course back then you could carry him in school too i had teachers borrowing it from me all the time you know needing to cut stuff so yeah unfortunately our school yeah. was zero tolerance for 
for knives, so we weren't allowed to carry them. One of the kids in our in my machine shop class, he actually had a Leatherman that he would carry with him, and he actually took the thing apart, removed the knife, and made like another like little pair of scissors or something and stuck it in there. That's cool. So he could carry his Leatherman, and uh, there was no knife in it. So yeah, it's different times, I guess. I don't know locations too. Like yeah. I. I grew up in southern Indiana, so it wasn't even like the big city type thing. So, yeah. But so, how did you get into your career? Did you go to college? Because you are, you've talked about working in the water treatment and stuff like that. Yeah, there's no college needed for this. Okay, per se. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got bosses that are engineers, but they're you know you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh. Like I say, I, I got into this just by happenstance with my day job. I was already work. I've worked. I've done a lot of kind of jo- all kinds of jobs growing up. I've done factory jobs. I I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff. Worked in pawn shops for a while. Grew up around pawn shops. Worked in those a lot, actually, and sold cars for a while. Wow. And I moved back to East Texas from California. I was selling cars still because that's what I was doing in California. Uh, moved back here and it just, the business was not the same at all. And I ended up um, doing a couple of different odd jobs and ended up at a pawn shop again because I had history with it. And then just before COVID hit, which was actually a blessing because the pawn business got so fluctuating, it was really, it would be really hard to make money. And they were cutting hours and everything there. But a guy that works here knew my dad. My dad's like, hey, they got a spot open over here and it was basically a sideways step in money. So I was like, why not? It's actually more of a career based kind of a job and, you know, a little bit less stress than a pawn shop, you know, but what's a good pawn shop store you got, you got to have something. Oh God. uh, Meeting people and whatever. I saw a really good one on Instagram. Well, not good for, uh, good for the pawn shop that they caught it, but not good for the guy that, uh, bought it he bought a rolex i think it was a date just and uh the guy looked at it and he's like there's just something not quite right so they like took the back cover off and scraped a little bit of the the gold and it was stamped like 18 carat or whatever and it came up as like 10 carat and he goes rolex wouldn't do that but everything else looks good and uh yeah. like the guy goes i bought it for twelve thousand, <laughs> and he's like Ooh. sorry buddy <laughs> like, we won't be we won't yeah. be buying it there's there's tons of stories like that with what we call Bolexes. They're not really Rolexes, but you can actually, believe it or not, you can buy the crystal, the bezel. You can buy a lot of legit Rolex parts, then slap a, you know, China-made action in the back. And it looks like, I mean, it's all kinetic and everything, but it won't, you know, it's not, it's not the same. It's still like two grand worth of Rolex parts, though, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, the, the, I got some kind of cool knife related stories, um, with pawn shops and also some really raunchy ones. So <laughs> it just kind of like, there's some stuff I've seen that you just kind of sit there and go, whoa, really? You know, I had a guy want to, uh, pawn some raccoon traps one time Okay, that were heavily used. Yeah. He didn't even clean them and they were, <laughs> they were, it was, it was gross. It was really bad. I'm like, no, we're good. So just because I'm curious, how much was he trying to actually get? I never even got that far. <laughs> he just said no. 
Yeah, he's like, hey, man, I need to pawn these. I need to, and he was one of those backwoods dudes. He was like, hey, man, I need to pawn these, but I need to come back and get them because I got to, you know, trap coons for food. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, buddy. You know, I, I don't know if but I could have let that gross. one go. I'd be like, how much are you try, trying to pawn these for before I said no? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they were just because the thing is, you have to look at everything as a risk of they're not going to come back for it. Everything. You know, there's even, you can get to where you learn customers' actions. Like some people come in with, so much stuff and they they pay you so much money every month it's like you're making money off these people so you want to loan them money but it's going to get to a point where they can't afford to pay and they're going to start losing stuff so you have to learn to watch them if you're going to balance everything out right i mean it when i was 26 i was actually managing a pawn shop okay i was the assistant manager but my manager literally told me like she just got the list of stuff to do every day and handed it to me she didn't really she was just there for a title okay you know but I grew up around them and that's just, there's a lot of, a lot of everyday stuff that you have to do constantly checking like the Harbor Freight sales, constantly checking, you know, what tools are worth and all kinds of stuff like that. Gold values are going up and down every day and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a lot of work for very little reward and you can actually balance out your shop, right? You can train your customers to where you don't have all crackheads coming in, you know? Yeah. You can actually have quality people bringing in quality stuff. It's really kind of a strange thing. Yeah. Knife-related story, though. Okay. Locally here, really interesting. Um, I started working at this pawn shop, and, of course, I was already making knives. Now, I had only been making them for maybe a year or two, maybe a year, actually. And uh, this guy comes in, really old man, just, you know, just old chill really chill old man drove old beat up like minivan and my co-worker was over there talking to him and he was like hey that guy over there makes knives so the old man comes over to me he's like i hear you make knives i'm like yeah i do he goes well i used to kind of make knives and own a knife company he goes i sold it to my kids and it's called cooper knives he goes and my name's cliff linderman and i'm like okay whatever you know fine you know it's, you know, you hear all these old people telling stories all the time. You kind of get whatever about it. So I go home and Google it, and it's like ridiculously legit. John Cooper made knives for like the Rat Pack, okay. you know, like Sammy Davis Jr. and all these kind of people. And Cliff Linderman met him, and they, they that was out in California. So John Cooper and Cliff Linderman actually owned this knife company out in California back in the 50s and 60s. Wow. You know, and I'm like, what the heck? And they trained a guy named Jody Sampson on how to make knives. Okay. Jody Sampson made the Conan the Barbarian sword, the one that was put in Wada and then hammered and then put in Wada to make stronger and hammered again. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, and he also made the one for Beastmaster. And then he also did a lot of prototyping for Benchmade back in the day. Yeah. I was like, wow, like this random dude walks up in here. And he's very legit, you know, so we end up talking and stuff. And he, he brought, he goes, if I bring you some metal, will you make me a knife? And I'm like, yeah, cool. No sweat. So he brings me some W2 in bar stock. Like at the time I couldn't even find bar stock W2. Okay. And I was like, great. You know, so, and it, it's just like from the 1950s, he's had, he's got piles of this stuff in his yard, like legit piles of just bar stock. Nice. And so I make him a knife with it, and he's like, oh, this is nice. Tosses it in the back of his van, 
I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and he brings me out two blanks that Jody Sampson cut out that were bench made uh, bird and trout prototypes. Wow. He goes, finish these up, one for you and one for me. I was like, all right, cool. So I did that. I ended up selling the one I had for like a hundred bucks. And I was like my first segmented scales and everything. They looked amazing. And he kept the other one. And then he brought me some like Cape Buffalo horn, big bar of Pennsylvania tools, uh, Pennsylvania steel tool steel. But I, I'm not sure if it's O one or if it's W one or something like that, Okay, which that's what my short sword I'm working on is made out of. So Pennsylvania steel company went out of business in the sixties. Okay. So I've got one of the last pieces of American-made steel, like made in America, America, you know, smelted here and everything. Very cool. That I made that, that I'm making that sword out of. But like I say, it's just kind of trippy to run into somebody in little old BFE Lufkin, Texas, that actually is tied to such an iconic thing and kind of being brought into that small circle, you know? Yeah. I didn't really learn anything from him, but he's brought, he's you know, given me all kinds of stuff like that I would have never found on my own, like Cape Buffalo horn and all that kind of stuff to use for handle material and, you know, metals that, that are vintage that you can't find anywhere, Yeah, you know, just really, really cool. So those old timers, it's amazing watching them, some of the stuff that they have and have collected all over the years. Oh yeah. Tom Cryan's talked about it a little bit. He's like, some of the G10 and Micarta that I have when I bought, I bought it when I first started. That stuff's now vintage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just sitting there on the shelf. Yeah. I bought a big run of it and stuff. So. Oh, yeah. So you never, you never answered. What's the, what's the most uh, unique uh, item you ever had somebody come in and pawn? The actually pawn. That's kind of a, an opinionated thing is what I would consider unique. Or what's the, what, what do you, what was the thing you were most surprised to see somebody come in and want a pawn? I'm trying to remember exactly what it's called, but it's a globe, like a typical earth globe, but it's made with stone, all these different kind of quartz stones and stuff like that. It's fairly heavy, but they, what they do is they take and they shave off the stone and then they, you know, shape it to where it's curved and they put it all in for the, uh, the countries and stuff. Okay. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's got a specific name to it and it's, they're only like three or 400 bucks brand new. You know, they're not crazy expensive for what you would figure, you know, doing all that work to put it together. But that was pretty dang unique. I mean, you know, in Lufkin, Texas, we don't have people bringing in like legit suits of armor and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you might get like a World War II Mauser, you know, but that's kind of whatever, you know, (laughs) at this point, I mean, you get like random kind of stuff like that, but you know, really old, Ooh, shotguns with Damascus barrels, the old twisted Damascus barrels that you would see Yeah, uh, that you do not want to shoot modern loads out of cause it'll blow them apart. But they, uh, those are really cool to see. I, but I mean, I'm just going through my head. I'm going, that's that globe was probably recently the most unique thing I'd seen. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I said, there's just not too much that's out of sorts. You know, you get a lot of, computers laptops tvs you know tools all that kind of normal stuff but golf clubs whatever raccoon traps seem pretty uh pretty unique too yeah the raccoon <laughs> trap like say traps because i mean especially an unclean like there's fur and stuff hanging off and you still had some sort of bait left in there and yeah. it was it was nasty i was like no dude this is 
and you see all walks of life, you'll literally have a crackhead walking in that's barely got any clothes on that you're like, oh, my God, please no. And they haven't bathed in like three weeks at least, and they smell horrible. Then a businessman walks in right behind them looking at the jewelry because he knows it's the cheapest place to buy a ring. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's wild, you know. It's crazy the the uh, variety of people that come in those places. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find in them either. Oh, no, that's and that's, you know. Jewelry wise, you get some pretty unique stuff, some custom made things or whatever, you know, like scorpion rings or whatever, or, you know, these weird, funky, large diamonds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, it's really more like people watching all day, you know, I mean, <laughs> and and not to sound like I'm some sort of jerk, but you did. It, it was fun to mess with people sometimes, you know, I mean, there was because you got you would get these people that came in all the time all the time and they were always messed up on something and you try to be nice to them and be helpful and but they're sitting over there just pacing back and forth and they're trying to you know get a couple of dollars for this item that 50 50 shot if it's stolen or not you know and ah oh my gosh i had this one this one girl call up and she said that she goes hey i got an egg maker and i was like i'm thinking about uh, i was like egg maker so i was like oh you got chickens and she's like <laughs> what no i was like well you said you got an egg maker i was like that's the only thing i know that makes eggs is chickens i was like we don't we can't take any livestock and she's like no 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 it cooks eggs it's an egg cooker i'm like you got a you got a pot like what are you what are you talking about you know <laughs> and she was on and on about it and she's like i'm gonna bring it up there and she comes walking in with this thing it was it's basically this little egg-shaped contraption you stick one egg in and it cooks one egg with a shell on it and then you take it off like a hard-boiled egg type thing yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't take water. You just stick the egg in it. It's really weird. And I'm like, no, like I'll give you a dollar. Like, I don't know. Like, what is this thing even worth? It was just this little contraption. I'm like, who's gonna cook one egg? Like yeah. I, one egg at a time. Like I don't <laughs> I guess if it's only you for breakfast. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just it was it was kind of fun, just like say messing with her, asking her if she's gonna bring me chickens and and she was all like serious, like, no, no, I got this thing and it was just oh my gosh. So you said your you said your dad kind of found the job for the water treatment stuff or yeah, a buddy of his I guess and mine, but he knows my dad better. But a buddy of his works here and they had some openings pop up and, you know, just just by random it was like, "Hey, you know, maybe he wants to work here." And I'm like, "Why not?" You know, I'm been doing this pawn shop thing for a while. I didn't really see any future in it. Like saying I started here and this is the kind of thing that's never going to go away. People are always going to need water yeah. and it, it's a state job. Like I have a state seal on my truck. I got a state seal on my badge, but it's a river authority. So it's, it's a, it's a state entity, but it's still a private company at the same time. It's kind of weird. Okay. So yeah, like we don't get paid really good state wages that's for sure you know we've got benefits and all that kind of fun stuff and like today i'm off uh you know i get 14 paid paid holidays off every year plus you know paid vacation and all that kind of stuff yep but you know like i said it's just kind of one of those that that's probably the biggest benefit is getting that little bit of extra time off here and there that i've never had before in my life because the longest career i had basically they're tied 
with uh, selling cars and working in pawn shops are the two longest careers I've had as far as day jobs go and never was really satisfied or happy working in either of those, you know, which obviously is where part of like the always feeling like I was destined for something to use my hands to do and then finding knife making, then all of a sudden, you know, here I am making knives and I feel like I could, I can sit there and everybody hates hand sanding and I hate hand sanding metal, but I can get out there and hand sand a handle for three hours and feel like I haven't worked a minute, you know? You want to come up here and do that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yours are yours are a little bit less faceted than mine are, so that I could probably do those a lot quicker. Well, they got lots of curves. Yeah, curves curves are easy. <laughs> yeah. Curves are pretty easy. Yeah, I always have a hard time uh, making sure the tang doesn't stick the butt. Yeah, don't or the because full tang all the way around. Try to make sure it's not too proud. Yeah. So. Well, you got your sanding buddies, though. I mean, all you got to do is just keep the hardest one you got right there on the back of it. And yeah, that's what I that's what I usually focus do on the spine. Yeah. And then I got some of the rounded ones that I got from like Rockler for the underside of the handle. But when you try to when you sand a little too much handle material off with magnet cut, it just takes forever to <laughs> to get it back down. Yeah, I can imagine that. That's got to be. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The great thing is, though, once you have it finished out on the tang to like 400, you don't really have to worry about getting any like sandpaper scratches on it. Just not, nothing scratches it. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I, there is that. Yeah, I hand sanded a eight inch uh, S ground chef knife that we use every day in our kitchen. And yeah, it still looks looks brand new, even like using the green scotch bright and stuff on it doesn't even. Yeah, doesn't even do anything to wow. it. So that's amazing. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. I use for my kitchen knives and stuff. I use a fifty-two one hundred or W two. I use W two if somebody wants like a hamon or something like that. I have made a temper line. I don't know that it would technically be a true hamon, but I have actually been able to get temper lines out of fifty-two one hundred. But it's really hard to do. Like really, really hard to do. Yeah, I tried it on one that I'm working on now, and I think the clay just. I saw it kind of peel off just a little bit while it was soaking. Like it was fine at first. And then all of a sudden, like it's like one of those, just before I took it out, it's like the clay started to peel off mm. and that heat immediately is going to be not, you know, if it peels up, that heat's immediately going to be soaked out. As soon as it hits the oil, you're not going to get that, that blocker in there to keep it from, yeah. you know, cooling off fast and, so, yeah, I barely got like a little touch of activity on it here and there. And I was like, nah, I can't, you know, I tried to sand and etch it. And I, and I only used 332nd stock on my stock removal. So they're already really, really thin. Yeah. And, you know, I try to, I try to give people options. It's like, I can forge it. It's going to look the same, <laughs> you know, it's going to be a thin piece of metal. It might have some hammer marks or something on it. If you want to have that, you know, that's great. Mm. But otherwise, if you want it to look really clean, I'll just do stock removal and it will cost you $150 less because I don't have to use propane and sweat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when you were, so you started knife making just before you started doing the, the water stuff, I think you said, or? Yeah, I started doing that um, probably two years before I was doing the water, water business. Okay. And then, uh. So you got a, 
you just started off with forging, right? Or did you do mainly stock removal first? No, I started off forging 100%. Okay. Did you have anybody kind of teaching you for that or? YouTube, um, Walter Sorrell's videos and watch some stuff that Elia and Matt Stagmer had done. They don't do a lot of showing you how to forge it. You just have to pay attention mm-hmm. to the video and like slow it down, rewind. You know, Ilya actually did do one on bevels. He took a piece of wood and showed how to hammer in bevels without banana, but without making the knife banana pretty much mm-hmm. where you're, where you're kind of holding it at an angle and hammering at an angle to where you're, you're compacting the metal back onto itself and, and drawing the bevel back in. And I really enjoyed that because it, it's a, in, in in my opinion, like he said, it's a better way to bevel a knife because it, it makes it more even and you're, you're not wasting any, any mass, if you will. You're not pushing the metal around as much and it's not over, over stressing and stretching the metal. Okay. So that worked out pretty good learning that from just videos. But yeah, I started with uh, just hammering the piss out of stuff I could get my hands on leaf springs, railroad spikes, um, random pieces of metal that I weren't even sure if they were, you know, hardenable steel or not, but I still tried, you know, just to at least work on making shapes and work on hammering in bevels, work on drawing stuff out, drawing down hills, all those kind of techniques, you know, trying to work out a square stock, making it into round stock, all those kind of things, you know, teaching myself tapers and, learning how to peen stuff to spread, you know, yada, 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 turning ball peen hammers into hatchets. Yeah. All the fun stuff. You know? Nice. Yeah. Cool. So then, so you started off forging when, what, what grinder did you end up getting when you first started? When I, okay. I first started with a pile of bricks, a little Coleman propane bottle with a, torch on the end stuck into the pile of bricks okay <laughs> and an angle grinder yeah and i would i would literally and i was barely getting stuff up to to forging temperatures with that setup obviously yeah i saw a uh person on youtube make a forge out of a coffee can and plaster and high temp cement mix so i did that made my little coffee can forge i still got it actually i've been heat treating my uh my folders out of that because they're so small okay i don't want to fire up the big forge yeah and uh so i then that came along pretty quick and i was still using an angle grinder i mean and i'm talking like i had a old wooden ladder i was clamping the tang of the knife to and using an yeah and using an angle grinder to grind in the bevels then i would swap out from the the hard disc to a flap disc and i had like i want to say three or four different grits of flap disc okay so once i got it down to a, a full-on bevel like you know down to an edge then i would sit there in the floor like i was from another country and sit there with my and literally hold the blade on a piece of wood with my feet wow <laughs> and hand sand the rest of the bevels in you know after he treated them so that was it took me hours to get one knife, even even get the bevels done on it. Yeah, make sure you shoot the sparks from your angle grinder away from the ladder. <laughs> yes, I learned that really quick, too. You know, and of course, I took all the OSHA regulated stuff off as soon as possible, because who needs all that headache? You know, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, whatever. Or uh, four and a half inch angle grinders are really versatile, but you get lots of people don't think about they think about just where their hands are and where they're actually grinding. But you need to think about where all that stuff's getting shot too. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you got to learn how to angle. I learned. I learned. I mean, I already kind of knew, but it's like you kind of understand, okay, well, if I hold it here or if I grind with this part of the edge of the angle grinder, where are my sparks going to go? Yeah. You know, and I finally just recently, after almost five years now, I just finally got a port band and I love, I mean, it's, I, I should have tried to find one years and years and years ago. I should have really, really pushed to get one and I haven't. And Oh my gosh. I mean, game changer, a hundred percent as far as being able to go out there and cut something without worrying about sparks or having a, yet another disc blow up on me, which I've had happen a few times to say the least. And not having it's, it's a miracle, quite frankly, that I've still got all my fingers and not a bunch of bad scars because I mean, I haven't had a guard on any of my grinders and they've you know, having disc blow up literally half an inch away from your fingers yeah. and not touch you at all. It's like, you know, it's pretty scary. Should buy some lottery tickets. You know, I try, but it's not <laughs> that kind of luck. Evidently it's the, it's the don't die kind of luck. Yeah. I, you know, that might be the better kind of luck. Yeah. Yeah. You can do <laughs> stupid stuff and survive lottery. Not for you. Yeah. So I want to plug our one of our other sponsors. We've got Atlas Materials. You talked about doing a lot of segment and scales and stuff. They've got all sorts of handle material there. One of the largest selections of crazy fiber in the United States. And uh, definitely go check them out. Make sure to let them know that you're super happy they help support the podcast. I actually got some stuff from them. I got um, they carry military Juma, not just the snakeskin Juma. And you actually say it right. Right. Dan always calls it Jumanji. Jumanji. He know what he means, though. <laughs> it's all good. I actually ran across some military Juma. I'm trying to remember the name. Elfrin. Elfrin makes it. Okay. They And they've been around since like the 50s. I, I did a lot of research when I found this material because I got a hold of uh, a flying shark and was like, hey, have you ever seen this stuff before? And he's like, yeah, that's like old military Juma. I was like, oh, cool. So then I looked up and was trying to find it anywhere. And, of course, Elfrin still makes it, but nobody else has it except for Atlas. And I was like, well, hot dog. So I had these scales, and I was like, well, and I put them on a knife, and it came out amazing looking. Yeah. And I went to a knife show, my first exhibition, and nobody else there out of, like, 200 makers had ever even seen this stuff. They were like, what is this? And I'm like, well, it's vintage because I know it came from a 90-year-old maker's shop. And it came in a, a box with like 30 years of dust on top of it. Nice. You know, <laughs> like every scale in there looked the same. It looked like gray. Yeah. The the good cancerous stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but then, like I say, I looked it up and found that Atlas was carrying it. I was like, oh, sweet. So I've actually gotten some more different colors and used it since, you know, I found that because it's 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 different. It's not like you you don't see it all the time, you know. It's not just your typical true stone or this, that, and the other, yada, yada. So, like I said, I, I definitely would suggest people maybe start looking at different kinds of uh, cool stuff that Atlas carries. Yeah. You know, that you can really incorporate into stuff and make it way, way more unique than you would think with just a little accent or two. Yeah. They're they're crazy cool uh, with all the different things they sell and 
I was able to, or they only, they're only like 35 minutes away from me. So I get, I get to oh, go and mm-hmm. hand pick my, uh, <laughs> my pieces of dragon scale or whatever, if I decide to use those. So, Oh yeah. Okay. It's always fun. It's always <laughs> fun to see them and they're always getting like literal pallets of stuff every day, uh, going in and out. So, and they're really, really amazing with customer service. I remember when I ordered my last setup, they they were selling it per scale, which I I noticed that of course, and they but they called me to make sure I understood. They're like, "Look, we notice you're a knife maker. You understand that these are just single scales, or not, you know, a set of scales." And I was like, "Yeah, I know, I, I got it. I'm going to cut them up and use them for bolsters or accents or whatever." And they're like, "Okay, okay, you know." Yeah. But I mean, just to even have the common courtesy and thought to call somebody, not email them, call them and say, "Hey." do you realize X, Y, Z like that goes a long way in my opinion, as far as taking care of people in the community. Yeah. And, and seeing some of the pool cue stuff is unbelievable. Like always fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I've, I've never been really good at pool, but Dan and Natasha showed me their two cues from some of the makers that uh, gifted them uh, cues and right on like all the inlay and stuff on them. Just amazing work. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one of the first times I had actually found about out about you is I actually, uh, speaking of flying shark, got one of your knives in the the giveaway that he did. Yes, you did. Yeah. It's got some like, uh, little, uh, glow spacer stuff and it's like green, green and black wood looks like on the handle. Dymalux. Yeah. yeah. It was green and black Dymalux, uh, blue glow spacer and, Carbon fiber, yeah, on on the backside. Yeah, yeah. there's a cool little. That knife. was my my goat razor, as I call it. Yeah, yeah. When uh, Sharky was doing a thing with when COVID all hit to kind of like raise some money for local places, so all you had to do was take a picture of uh, your receipt and uh, DM him, and uh, and he entered you at a spot. So we were doing that already. So ended up winning a pretty cool little knife. So yeah, and we've, yeah. Did I've been on your radar ever since so yeah (laughs) (laughs) but cool so i forgot the dan question i almost forgot the dan question how (laughs) how did you meet your wife and where does it fall on the dan kyle scale well my my soon-to-be ex (laughs) it's okay though (laughs) sorry to hear that yeah it's just long past due but i met okay where it would uh, I was at the time I was a DJ at a bar and I worked at a bakery deli at a local grocery store and I met her at the grocery store and it was kind of funny because we were selling like fried chicken's a big thing around here, obviously, and she's a vegetarian. So she had no idea what cuts of chicken were. So people would come up and ask for stuff and she was clueless. (laughs) She's like, I don't know what dark meat is. But yeah, that's where I met her. So met her at work. So I guess that would be like a more towards the Kyle side of things. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. You know? How do you how do you not uh, pick that up pretty easily? The dark dark meat, light meat. That was interesting. We we uh, we did Boston Market meals that were like pre pre made when COVID yeah. hit for our uh, holiday party, and uh, we kept telling people it's it's white meat or dark meat, and they're like, "What is that?" was like <laughs> you're like 60 years old 
You, what do you mean you don't know what white meat and dark meat is? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I always thought everybody knew that. I guess I just grew up knowing it, you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've just eaten way too much fried chicken. There's that. <laughs> I've, I've had, there is I've had that. a bunch of it. Yeah. My son, my son, he can eat. There's a place here locally called Chicken Express, and on Tuesdays they have a special. So you get a leg and a thigh, which, by the way, is dark meat for those who don't know. <laughs> and you can you can get a leg and a thigh for like a dollar seventy nine, and they're pretty substantially sized. So I'll get like four specials, which is eight pieces of chicken, yeah. and he will eat every bit of it and like six biscuits. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I mean, but it's only like ten bucks or something like that for everything. Yeah, I think but I remember like, you saying he's it. like fourteen or something he's 12. 12 yeah 12 that's, and a half that's like the right around in there i've heard is like the sort of the peak of the the grocery bill uh no it's horrible i i mean he eats i mean you would think that i eat a lot because i'm a chunky dude but he eats way more than i do and he's a tall skinny beanpole he's he was 511 i'm pretty sure he's all a six foot now because he's looking me dead in the eye you know, so he hit another spurt within the last couple of months. But, I mean, he's just a growing kid. His metabolism are just, he's tall and skinny, and he'll start to fill out pretty soon, I'm sure. But it's just like, he's already wearing my shoes, and he's 12 years old. Yeah. You know, which is kind of good when you buy big packs of socks. You can split them with him instead of having to buy two packs of socks because that all got expensive. But, but yeah, like I say, it's just, it's, he, he, he he'll eat, he it's almost a blessing and a curse because he likes cheap food. Like he likes red Baron pizza, but he also likes Papa John's. Yeah. You know, and he'll tolerate little Caesars, but like red Baron pizza is not very expensive. It's well, it's like call it $5 a pizza for four fifty to $5 a pizza. And that's what he likes. He likes the cheese pizza. He doesn't like the pepperoni pizza. Yeah. So he'll, but he'll eat a whole one of those by himself. I can eat like three slices, you know, as a grown adult, <laughs> yeah. but he'll eat a whole one of those by himself. And then like five minutes later, he's looking for a snack. And I'm like, boy, you just <laughs> ate a whole pizza. You didn't eat a slice. You ate a whole pizza. And, you know, but he, the, the offset to that is what he likes for snacks is like apples, oranges, bananas. That's good. Cans of olives. Like he'll eat a whole small can of black olives. You know, and now he's gotten into where he'll eat half tomatoes, which is something my papa did. Okay. Like, I like tomatoes on a burger, but he'll just, like, eat it like an apple. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yard, so. yard snacks. When I'm, help, when I'm yeah. helping my wife in the garden, I'll usually always pick off some cherry tomatoes and pop those in. <laughs> I, my favorite is yeah. to cut them in half and put a little bit of salt and pepper on them. And those are good. Yeah. See, I, my papa would sit there with just a tomato, cut it in half, and he'd salt it and just eat it. I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's if it's uh, grown in your garden and uh, ripened on the vine, there's nothing quite that tastes the same. So that's true, and that's you know up. So kind of going back around to Mississippi, my grandmother and grandfather, my mama and papa, they lived in this one house, and three houses up the road was her sister so my great aunt and uncle which they had a garden with corn tomatoes all that kind of fun stuff so and they made way more than just they could eat and that was my aunt my aunt Nett's house my aunt Nett would 
always she always called me mean and i was never mean but she always called me the mean one i don't know why just because i would i would hit back with my brother and cousin picked on me but uh she she was one of those people that if you were a kid and you came up there you were going to be getting these homemade molasses oatmeal cookies you're getting you know biscuits with homemade blackberry jelly jam actually you know, or preserves, whatever you want to call it. I mean, she would sit there and make all this stuff and she'd have these biscuits made, pop one in the microwave, you'd butter it up, you know, throw some daggum, you know, preserves on it. And it's like a sweet sandwich. Yeah. And her sweet tea, she basically made syrup and poured it over ice to make sweet tea. It was sweet, like super sweet. That's that Southern sweet tea. Yeah. Like, 1000 percent. it was amazing yeah. <laughs> for a for a kid it was great i usually get sweet tea up here and my wife always still gets unsweetened but when i when like when i go down for blade show in atlanta and order sweet tea it's like four times sweeter than oh it's way worse <laughs> yeah and then but so and then my my aunt my dad's sister lived up around the corner like if i went from my great aunt's backyard caddy corner two yards over it was my aunt's yard. Okay. And my uncle had a dirt track race car. So mechanicing was also part of my summers. Yeah. So it was like, I mean, from the time of, like I said, 10, 11 years old, we were helping pit crew and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty amazing. That's cool. So, yeah, I learned a lot of mechanics, auto mechanics and stuff like that. You know, even body sanding, all the crappy jobs he didn't want to do. <laughs> we were tasked with doing. You know, and we were small enough, but strong enough that, you know, if he needed to like, you know, when he was stabbing the engine and transmission or something like that, and he wanted one of us to slide up under there and bolt things up, we could do it, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. I mean, it was, it was pretty interesting, you know, growing up with all that kind of background and stuff. Then, uh, you know, and it's amazing how much education you can get in a short amount of time just during the summer. Yeah. Like say with my with my papa out hunting and fishing and my uncle up with mechanicing and you know everybody else cooking you know we would always help my my mom all cooked every day so we would always help cook and then you know all that kind of stuff so and i've worked in restaurants too i've worked at a steakhouse i mean you know you hear people like jeff fader talk about people that make kitchen knives that don't like to cook and i'm like i love to cook i don't have had anybody to cook for yeah. But I love to cook. I grew up cooking. I literally, I have cooked my own food since I could, I was standing on a stool and could barely see over in the pan to make my own grilled cheese. Like, yeah, like, I mean, since forever ago. Yeah. One of the so things, it's like I, one of the things I used to make when I was real little was fried bologna and, and, uh, eggs. Now, did you, did you cut the middle of the bologna or the edges of the bologna? Oh, I always cut it right in the center. So yeah. You make the eggs. I, I would just do a line. Just one line? Okay. I always would do that. I would do the, I'd do it around the edges so it would make it out like a flower. Okay. Like it would spread out. Huh. You know, yeah. that way you got no cupping. <laughs> yeah. I, I would always just hold the spatula on it and shh. I always like doing <laughs> that. a good sear. Yeah. <laughs> and then. Yeah, I still eat that kind of stuff. People are like, dude, what? I'm like, yeah, I will tear up some spam. My pawpaw, I was just on the live talking about the other day. My pawpaw. When he would go fishing, you had a choice of snacks of Vienna sausages or potted meat and crackers. Okay. That's what you were going to eat. 
And if he got low on any kind of bait, he would just grab a Vienna sausage or he'd grab some potted meat and crackers. I've literally watched him take a cracker and potted meat and smoosh it all up into a ball and stick it on the end of his hook. And he was one of those old cane pole fish. He had basically turned a 14-foot flat-bottom boat into a fishing trawler with cane poles. Okay. You know, he would, he had at least six of them. He'd have three out each side. And wow. he'd be sitting back there in the back with his legs kicked up on the seat in front of him. And he would just tilt his hat down and wait on a rattle. You know, he'd yeah. hear that pole rattle and he'd just reach up and grab and snatch it. Huh. I've watched him snatch four poles out of the water almost, it seemed like simultaneously. Wow. You know, just snatch this one, snatch that one, snatch this one, you know, pulling catfish out of the water. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, I, it was just amazing. I've never done cane pole fishing, but I always thought it was interesting how you like get the get the line out there almost kind of like a fly fishing motion yeah you just flick it kind of flick it he would just flick it out there and yeah he would snatch a pole and grab the line and just pull a fish up so quick it was amazing i could never get the knack of it at all like it was just like if i didn't have a reel i was lost i I just couldn't couldn't seem to figure it out you know that oh I, I lost one of his poles one time too. That was not good. <laughs> <laughs> that was not good at all. So were you one of the push button uh, casting? That's that's how I started yeah. out, like push button cast, and I went to the the uh, the the spinning. Yeah, spinners. After that, yeah, I never really liked the open face that much. Yeah, the bait casters. Yeah, I just I've watched too many people burn their thumbs on them and. I, you know, all that kind of stuff. I usually get like one or two good casts. Then I spend like a half an hour clearing the bird's nest of the third one. <laughs> that and they do that real easy if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I like I like spin reels. They're, they're you know, and I don't fish that much. I mean, I don't even have a license anymore. Like, say, I just don't, I don't know. I spend all my free time now making knives. If I was just making knives, I probably would spend more time going and fishing and stuff like that, you know, and. I hope to one day go full time. It's just part of it is quite frankly, I'm scared to make the leap. I'm just at a a pinnacle point with things going on personally in my life right now that I don't think it's the right time. Yeah. You know, and it's definitely a a hard thing with somebody who just kind of did it. It was kind of a little bit more forced on my side since my job went away. Right. But yeah, it's definitely definitely a big challenge especially all the small business stuff you got to know yeah staying up on your taxes and stuff like that uh keeping yeah. all the logs like you're the person that has to do everything so yeah yeah and that's the tough part about it i do kind of like jeff i do know some more business-minded people that i can lean on you know so that's a blessing but just to run off with one to be a partner right off the bat i don't know you know yeah. Really, I, I mean, I, not that I don't trust them. It's just a fact of maybe it's part of the controlling. Like, I just want to control what goes on with that part. Yeah. You know, I haven't had control of a lot of things um, in my life for a while now. And it's like, this is something I can do. I can I can control the outcome of my product. I can control what goes to a customer. I can make sure that everything is the way I want it to be. Yeah you know, without any kind of whatever behind it. So, you know, it, it's kind of nice having that, 
But like I said, I do have people I can lean on. I can ask questions, people that own small businesses already. Yeah. You know, what's the best way to go about this or that or yada, 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 which receipts, if I don't have matter, you know, like, yeah, I do a lot of my shopping. I try to use my PayPal to shop with because there's a record kept. Yeah. You know, if I'm buying knife supplies or whatever, I can keep up with all that kind of stuff. So even if I lose a receipt, I can go back and say, hey, you know, here's an electronic summarization of all my spending, you know. And by the way, yes, the summarization of spending comes out more than what I sold all those for. So, <laughs> you know, it's still a loss if you want it to be that. Yeah, that's uh, okay to do when you're uh, doing it as a hobby, but not so much when you're full time. <laughs> no, I know. That's the, that's the other thing is I have like I have rarely sold a knife lately that someone hasn't either just paid me more for it. Like once they get it, I get more money or they straight up tell me right out of the gate that I'm selling it too cheap, but they're still going to buy it obviously. But they're like, you know, you're, you need to go up on your prices. And I'm like, I feel like I'm fair for what I'm doing in a way, except for I put a lot more work into my handles. Like there's nothing wrong with them being, not like yours i've held your knives they're very ergonomic they're very comfortable you know they're just there does just not a whole lot of fastening and all these extra stuff that i do to them it's not needed to make a nice knife but i do it you know you add extra pins and a little extra flare and and stuff like that to yours and your file work and all mm -hmm. that you don't have to do file work for it to be a nice knife yeah but you do you yeah. know and you've done it enough now that you're pretty dang quick at it as far as it's not taking you a ton of time. Yeah. Because it's like muscle memory and whatnot. So, you know, that helps. The big thing is like trying not to do too many knives at one time. Because uh, when I when I start to do too many knives at one time, like I can knock out like five knives in like 20, 30 minutes. But if I have like a pile of 10 knives, it'll take me like four hours. Cause I'll be, I'll, I'll like, uh, be like, all right, I need a break, and then then I get off doing something else, and then uh, so I have to like pace myself more, just learn how to do all that stuff. I can I can see that. I've been I've been doing. Some people saw it at Blade Show. Um, some people have seen it on other posts. I've actually been doing file work on liners mm -hmm. and using exotic pigments to fill in the gap. So I'm not just using a typical red, black, blue, green, yellow, whatever. Very pearlescent colors and stuff like that. It's a lot more fun, you know, like, yeah, it's not just like a, a color, you know, it's like a lot of, lot of pop and color to it. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying that. I got some advice from Will Stelter on how to keep things lined up, you know, because doing two different pieces, because they're obviously on both sides of the spine. Mm -hmm. is a lot harder to keep things in line than, you know, running it down the spine even. But, you know, it's a lot of fun. I've been using some black diamond pigment here lately that I really like. I mean, it's, you can almost take a, a cup of epoxy and take a toothpick and dip it in the pigment and like dump the powder off the end of the toothpick in there. And it's enough to fill the entire amount of epoxy. And it doesn't, you have up to a certain amount that you can put in there before it compromises the chemical bond. But for the most part, you can use very, very little 
and get plenty of color out of it so that you can, you know, definitely not worry about your chemical bond having an issue, you know? Yep. Yeah, the I used the the mainly just the black dye that comes with West Systems. So uh try or you only need like a pea sized little thing in a in a lot yeah. of epoxy. So yeah. one of one of the things that I learned had learned the first time is like mix up all your epoxy, then add the dye. Then add like, the dye. Because <laughs> you don't like uh at least with West Systems, the hardener is like a little bit like of an amber color and the yeah. the resin's clear. So you could you can see what that's like kind of fully mixed. Right. Once you put the black epoxy or once you put you the epoxy anything, dye, yeah. yeah, I had to <laughs> I had to knock the handles off that one and uh re-glue it up because i definitely didn't get it mixed enough right so yeah i i I learned that the hard way too and i used way too much like i had gotten some uh black pigment from texas fair supply i think and it just came in like this little bitty thing i'm like i spent all this money on this little bitty thing this is going to go so fast you know not knowing how stout it was Mm -hmm. and i mixed up some uh i was at the same at the time i was still using just five minute epoxy and I had mixed up a cup like a, or I'd poured the two parts in there. And then I took the dye and I literally took the lid off and like poured some in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, it was like squid ink. It was horrible. I mean, it was just so, so, and and it got all gummy. Like it got just, just so nasty so fast. And then I got it everywhere. I mean, it was everywhere. I, there was a lot of acetone wiping and stuff that went on and I, and I didn't even use it. Like it, it got everywhere. It obviously wasn't mixed. Like you could tell just stirring it, something wasn't right. And it just got, it was getting like, you could feel the heat coming off everything. And it, it was just, it was a disaster. I'm like, well, <laughs> I made a hockey puck. So <laughs> that's fun. Almost like when you use anti-seize when you're working on mechanic stuff, like I just put a little <laughs> dab on there. How is it like, <laughs> all over me (laughs) right yeah it was just it was on my hand luckily i was wearing uh gloves that day but it was everywhere i was like how did it even get over there you know like you're you're looking like five feet away and there's like black dye just stuck over there and it's like oh my god yeah you know speaking of epoxy if you're wanting to get some epoxy and other knife making supplies you can go to old town cutlery and use discount code kp10 and get 10 percent off your order and you can also pick up production knives and all sorts of knife making materials i just picked up a bunch of handle skills that lee did that were really cool with he cast a lumalite on a bunch of lego pieces huh. so gonna give those a shot i think and see how those go they were pretty cool he had one that was kind of like uh halloween theme that i'm gonna try to put on a knife and get out here soon so that sounds like a lot of fun yeah there's one that's kind of like christmas colors he used like a green epoxy and then some red and white legos oh yeah some pretty cool ones of course i got one that was blue my favorite color (laughs) yeah it was like blue blue epoxy with like gray and black blocks and stuff in there so yeah you just grabbed a handful of uh legos out of out of their bin of stuff and was like wonder what these would look like cast up so right. i was like that looks pretty darn cool uh send them to me <laughs> the first thing i tried to ever cast and i still have not i still have not used it um i grabbed some acorns <laughs> okay and i 
I cast the acorns. Did you know that acorns have another nut inside the shell? Yeah. Yeah, so it creates a hollow void. I learned that. Um, I learned that <laughs> like really quick. And uh, if you if you want to make something cool, like I, I grab some uh, orange glow in the dark uh, enamel paint that you can mix with resin, okay, and and cast it in there. But I didn't mix it. I just poured it in the resin, so uh-huh. it created voids and pockets because it made little veins uh-huh. of paint. So it's like this crazy looking veiny acorn yeah. hollowed out like jacked up piece of stuff i got that i'm like well i'm not ever going to use that on anything now but yeah all the lessons were learned at once so it was kind of got fun. a wall ornament right <laughs> and only made one side one scale piece but yeah one of the cool ones i had uh casting kings did it but he used walnut shells like the hard walnut shells when they're all broken up and yeah. he mixed or uh, did it with black so then the walnut shells were kind of like a brown uh super mm-hmm. cool little like Color speckles, there. yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. So, what are you working on now? What uh, you said you got us a couple of kitchen knife sets. Uh, what what else you got going on in your shop? Yeah, I got uh, order sets, um, two six piece sets that are for a guy that owns a a ranch, like a a glamping ranch, if you will, okay. in southeast south central Texas. And his son and daughter-in-law have a a winery right here local. Yeah. So that's going to be fun because he wants uh, turquoise, of course. Uh, So I got some dyed uh, bird's bird's eye. Yeah, I got some bird's eye maple uh, that's dyed kind of a turquoisey color. I got some koa. I got some true stone. And then he wants one that's turquoise with red accent. So I actually need to get some more red G10 liner for spacer and accent stuff. Of course, I've got a sheet of bronze and some black G10 and all that to make, you know, spacer accents with. It's probably going to take as much time or close to as much time to make all the scales with all the little pieces as it is to grind the bevels on 12 knives. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like I say, so two six-piece sets. I'm going to do, I was going, I'm, I'm probably going to... <sighs> I'm going to make a wood a magnetic wood block for them so that they're all displayed on one side and you can kind of slide it back up against the counter. Okay. Um, I was going to make a floating magnetic set, but for six knives, they'd have to be spaced out so much. It would, it would take up a lot of room, but the uh, four knife set that I'm doing, I am going to do a floating magnetic setup. So you'll basically stick the knife where you want it to go. It'll be, the top will be at an angle. So from your smaller knife, your pairing, your petty, up to your big chef, it'll be at an angle, but you'll literally stick it in. There'll be a magnet on the top and the bottom because it'll be full tang. Yeah. So you'll stick it in there and it'll just float in place. Nice. So it'll look really cool. I've seen a lot of people doing that with just single knives. And I was like, well, if the knife is magnetized that much, it may spin and touch one of the other knives so i'll probably end up putting plexiglass dividers in between yeah just so that it won't you know I, I, my brain went all the way to like plexiglass dividers putting leds underneath them to light everything up and all this stuff and i'm like i didn't quote enough for that like <laughs> i'm going i didn't like that's a whole nother task to build that kind of a display you know yeah but the four-piece set, I've already got all the stuff for it. I got jade true stone. It's like the swirly green jade looking stuff. 
um, then white tr- marble true stone for the middle, and then koa for the back of the handle on that. So that'll be really a rich looking set when I'm done with it. It'll be real nice. That's for uh, that. Well, actually, my barber and her her husband. He's a combat vet, a combat medic vet. So he uh, and he do, he has his own little fab shop too. But uh, but yeah, so that's going to be for them. So I'm trying to, you know, she cuts my hair, so I want it to be good. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to have those like, bad haircuts. Yeah. So like I say, but she's they're they're really good people. I mean, I try to make my knives good for everybody, but it's just you know when it's somebody you kind of have a personal connection with, it's a little a little different like that's why i want to do a little bit above and beyond with the uh with the the display stand for it yeah so you don't have a ton of equipment no you still i don't (laughs) still still are doing some what's uh what's the next uh bigger piece of equipment you want to want to acquire i want a press or an oven i've had some people talk to me and say that an oven is a bit more like I was kind of talking about before we started, an oven is a bit more of a consistent piece of machinery. Like it's something that you need if you want to start doing more bigger batches and you can keep your heat treats consistent and all that stuff. Whereas a forge is so I can smash stuff. Yeah, I'm not a forge, a press is so I can smash stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, I like smashing stuff though. And I can make really cool things, but I do have access to two other guys shops i got one guy that's 40 minutes away one direction and another guy that's 40 minutes away another direction both of them have power hammers and now now both of them have presses so i don't really need a press it's just i need time to go to their shop for one yeah you know and they're more than you know like every other maker they're more than more than accommodating because i'm not an idiot i don't go over there and just start flailing about you know i know what i'm doing i pay attention to what i'm doing and we bounce ideas off each other. We try different new things, new techniques and stuff when we're there. You know, like I say, it's just a time to get over there to their shops. Yeah. And you don't want to take up too much of their time. Also. No, well, typically they're doing their own thing anyways. I'm just over there, you know, yeah. using their tools. <laughs> but, of course, I always bring them something. You know, I always bring some handle scale material or some metal or something as a, like, here's something for you for letting me come over to your shop that you don't have you know so you know, a little piece of cape buffalo or like i just got some hawk's nest customs fordite recently it's like i can cut up some fordite and bring it over and something they don't have and nice you know all that kind of fun stuff very cool so what kind of grinder do you have now i've got my favorite grinder in the world and it's a broadback yeah <laughs> nice i love my broadback yeah i wish i i wish they would be really cool and send me stuff don't we all but i love i love the broadback i just i really could use some more attachments but things are just really tight with everything i have going on right now um all i've got for attachments is the 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 original long platen i wish i had the mareco platen but i've got the the long platen i've got small wheel attachment and i've got the 10 inch wheel and i can do a lot of work with those three attachments alone um i would really love to obviously have the surface grinder who wouldn't love having that that can be used for so many things and the uh the surface grinding attachment the 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 buffing attachment i kind of want but that's more of a want i've got a buffer it's a very dangerous buffer but i've got a buffer already yeah 
But uh, they said that's that's one of the pieces of equipment, knife maker equipment that's killed the most knife makers is the buff. Yeah, and mine is very dangerous. It's just a bench grinder with buffing wheels. It's not even a proper buffer. Like, so it doesn't have the long spindles on it. One of the arms is actually kind of warped, so it it wobbles and creates a creates a vibration. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. I've had it snatch a couple of things out of my hands. I try. Well, that's one of the reasons I got that Moreco Kevlar apron too. Yeah, <laughs> it has a little bit of the resist if something slings at you. Yeah, but um. I got just got to remember to be wearing it every time I'm using the buffer, which I don't always do. But if I'm buffing the blade, I have one side that I use. If I'm buffing the handle, I use another side. So it's usually when I'm buffing the blade that it's more dangerous. I've had it when I was in my old shop, which was in my dad's old house backyard. It was literally, I had enough room that when I was on my grinder, I would turn 180 degrees, not even take a step. And I was at my drill press and my buffer. So I was right there on top of everything. And somebody had sent me a knife to refurbish because their, their, what do you call them? Housekeeper had put it in the dishwasher while they were on vacation. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so they sent it back to me because I told them I would give them a free spa day as everybody likes to call it. So I was like, you get a spa day. If something happens, send it back. And they did, and I refurbed the knife. But as I was buffing, rebuffing the, because uh, it had a hamon, as I was rebuffing that shiny edge on it, it snagged the knife. And this thing was only a 16th inch thick. It was the original GT Chef I'd ever made. And it snatched out of my hand, went around the buffer, smacked the edge of the metal table it was on, and stuck in the floor. Wow. Between my feet. And of course, my first thing was not, I almost died. But, oh, my God, the blade shattered. It's in a million pieces. I'm going to have to remake this thing. And it had brass liners and everything. It was not easy to make. And I look down, and it's stuck in the floor. I take it out of the floor, and it's perfect. The tip's not broke. Nothing's wrong with it at all. I'm like, well, I guess I nailed the heat treat on that one, you know. And that was probably the scariest incident with a knife, you know, where it actually slung kind of back at me. Versus just straight down or behind, you know, straight back. But uh, something I've seen, uh, Joe Maynard has a big buffing station. I don't know if you, anybody follows the underscore Joe underscore Maynard. Yeah. He's got three buffers and he built like little half half boxes around the backs of them. So if something does, you know, grab and cut loose, it's going to hit one of those pieces of wood before it comes all the way back around in theory, you know, and slings back at him. So he's got kind of a safety built in there. I'm going to eventually have, once I get, I'm going to get one more buffer, an actual buffer, even if it's a cheap one, just for the handle side, I'm going to use the bench grinder buffer that I have for the, the blade side. So I can run a couple of different buffing wheels just for the blades and a couple of different ones just for the handles. Cause depending on what handle material I use, there's different compounds and, and buff wheels and all that kind of stuff that are good for different materials because you don't want like ironwood. It's a really hard, really hard wood, purple heart, really hard wood. If you want to get a real good shine out of it, you're going to want to use a little bit more aggressive compounds and stuff like that. And, and then go to a lighter compound. Even after you've hand sanded up to say 1200 or 2000 grit, you know? Yeah. 
but then Juma is soft and synthetic. <laughs> so if you go off and like use the more aggressive compound with it, you're going to get scratch marks put back into it that you didn't want. So, or you're going to melt it or melt it. Yeah. If you don't have a variable speed, they make a pretty cheap. Everybody has like a pretty cheap China made variable speed buffer on, on Amazon. That's probably what I'm going to end up getting. It doesn't need to be awesome. It just needs to, you know, knock the dust off the handles and give it a little polishing compound. You know, it doesn't have to be a Grizzly or a Jet. I would love to have those, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. I went all out when I bought my buffer and got one of the Baldor ones that are, du- those are dual awesome. speed. So oh. TP tools, I think they're out of Ohio. They actually have a two-speed switch on them. So uh, it's actually 1,800 RPM and 3,600 RPM, depending on if you flip it up or down. Right. See, then those are awesome. Baldor, almost everything they make is amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to probably outlive me, definitely. So <laughs> It's just the money, man. I'm like, God, it's just a buffer, you know? Technically, I can hand buff this thing if I want to. That's what I, what, the first knives I buffed the handles on, I literally took a car polisher and plugged it into the, like, not even like with a long cord. I plugged it into a strip like two inches away. I clamped my knife to the door frame with a C clamp. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was determined. You're, and I you're took making the, it happen. I took, I took the, uh, there's always a way to make it happen. And I took the, I took the buffer and like, the buffing pad and i rubbed a bunch of the white compound from combat on there you know i turned it on and just rubbed it on there and i just ran it over the knife and it made such a huge difference i was like oh that's the way i gotta buff my handles now i gotta sand them up to the umpteenth degree on paper then i gotta buff them yeah yes and no (laughs) i also learned different materials different uses you know like if you've got a bushcraft knife you don't want a slick handle you know go to 500 Keep it good. You're good to go. You know, you don't need to go crazy with that. If it's going to be a a used knife, you know, if it's a showpiece, then make it shiny. Who cares? But, you know, and I've also learned that if you make stuff too pretty, people don't want to use it. Yeah. And I'm like, I want you to use my knife. They're like, but it's so pretty. I'm like, so order another one. I'll make it ugly, you know, (laughs) or send it back. I'll beat it up. Like, what do you want me to do here? You know, I spent all that time to put an edge on it. You better by God use it. Yeah. You know, and I, I I love nothing more than having people send me pictures of, you know, the knives being used or I've had three people now almost cut off the end of their finger with uh, my chef knives. Oh, actually, one did one cut off the end of her thumb. It was, she, she slipped on an onion. Wow. And she was so impressed with how easily it went through her thumb. <laughs> I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I went through my nail and everything. It was just so quick. I didn't even realize it felt like a pinch. I'm like, well, you're welcome, I guess. I don't know. That's weird, but, you know. Dan said he sold a couple to surgeons in the ER, uh, sewed him back up from accidents he's had with his knives. Yeah. It, it happens. I mean, I, I've been lucky enough throughout my my career with knives to have not injured myself too much, but using them before I started making them, I have actually cut through my thumb, my thumbnail, um, up by the cuticle all the way down to the bone and it kicked all it kicked out of my finger when it hit the bone like it, it felt like somebody thumped the end of my finger really really hard and i was actually moving my hand out of the way of the knife my knife hand didn't think to stop my other hand thought to move it was really really weird it was like 
you would think this is moving towards my hand. I need to stop this hand, but that just wasn't in the cards, I guess. Yeah. And uh, otherwise I would have cut the base of my thumb and probably cut a tendon. So I'll take the, I'll take the fingertip, but I, I just butterfly stitched it up and let it heal back up on its own because that's what it's going to do anyways. Yeah. Why, why am I going to go to the ER and have them rip my nail off and stitch everything up and eh, it'll be okay. <laughs> it'll be all right. Alrighty. It just hurt for a few days. Well, speaking of sharp knives, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the fortune fire uh, experience you had? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I've, I've talked about it a few times. It was a really, I'll, I'll preface it with, it was a really good time. I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was a, an amazing experience. I just think editors need to learn how to edit and, and not make people look dumb. But, you know, like they, they could have edited it, edited that particular episode way better. And it still could have had the same outcome and still had probably more drama built into it because we had no drama at all for the most part. Like everybody was doing great. Like everything was fine. But, you know, it was it was really cool. It was a great experience. I would love to do it again. Just because. I don't know. It's like, I, I guess if I went back now, I, I'm more comfortable using tools that aren't my own. I know even if I had to make Damascus or canister Damascus or anything like that, I'd, I would be fine with that. I could do that. No problem. If they wanted like a specific pattern, I might not know how to do that, but you know, I could figure it out. But uh, yeah, like say the, the, the way they edited the episode was kind of dumb because I was actually the first one to quench. Yeah. I actually, if you watch real carefully, you can actually see the holes in my handle that I drilled before I quenched. I did a normalizing cycle before I quenched. Like they didn't show any of that stuff. I'm like, and I, and I, <laughs> I literally only, the only reason I started even trying to grind a fuller in, which I have never done before. And I'm like, that's like the worst spot to try something new. Like, let me, I'm in the middle of a competition. Let me do something I've never done before, you know? And or not done before on that scale. I had made small little fullers and stuff, but not like on a big knife. <laughs> and they weren't even that deep. I was going to grind them out the next round. I was already had everything planned. Like this thing's going to be ground. It'll be fine. No sweat. And all I had to do was grind on that knife some more. That's literally all I had to do. There was one thin spot in the blade, but it was still like an eighth inch thick. Okay. You know, up near the up near the tip. And I'm going. I've made survival knives that are eighth inch thick that people baton into trees. This is not going to fail, you know, unless they, unless they temper it weird, it's not going to fail. And, uh, like I said, I was the first to quench. I literally looked up and had 30 minutes left on the clock. I had my bevel set. I didn't have all the scale off the flats, but I had my, my primary bevel set. I had my handle set. I had everything ready to go and still had 30 minutes left on the clock and everybody else was just grinding their ass off. And I'm like, you know, I actually forged all my stuff to shape and everything. The other guys forged stuff pretty close to shape, but I mean, I literally forged it to the shape that I drew on the piece of paper, which they also didn't show, you know? <laughs> so I like, say, so there's a lot of little, little piddly stuff that I'm going, they could have made it like, Oh wow, look, he's doing great. Oh, he's still lost. Yeah. That would have been the drama to it all. You know, I got so many messages. The The young kid, I say young kid because I could be his father. He's 18. 
he's like 20 now, but that uh, he got a warp in his blade and he thought he was gone. He goes, it's warped, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's thin. It's warped. Yada, yada, yada. They're going to send me home. And I was like, I don't know. There's a chance. I said, mine's not as pretty as everybody's because I didn't grind on it forever. And they ended up sending me home. Yeah. And I'm like, whatever, you know, but the fun, here's the fun part. I got to hang out in Stanford, Connecticut for a whole day. Yeah. I'd never been to Stanford, Connecticut. Me either. You know, <laughs> so we had a rental car. And the fun part is, is I'm six foot tall. The kid who went to the second round, Brian, he's six foot three or something like that. Josh Fisher, who won, he's like six foot one or six foot two. And there was Mike Baldino who came in second. Mike, Mike Baldino is from Syracuse, New York, and he's a fun little Italian kid or guy. He's like 30 something. Uh, had a kid recently. Congrats, Mike, again on that. And he, uh, he's like five foot five or something like that. <laughs> so you had all these guys that are like towering over, over him. And he's saying, I got a Mini Cooper Countryman, is what was rented. So <laughs> we're all stacked in this Mini Cooper <laughs> driving around Stanford. And it was on St. Patty's Day weekend kind of a thing. So we were trying to find somewhere to go that we wouldn't get in too much trouble. Yeah. You know, but just driving around Stanford and listening to 80s rock music with the windows down in March and, you know, having a great time and laughing and giggling and creating bonds that are, are rarely made with people, you know, just because of that show. Yeah. And it was just so much fun. I say, yeah, okay, I didn't win, whatever, you know. I didn't get to go to the, I really wanted to go to the second round because I wanted to see Jay try to break my knife. I think that was really what was the biggest bummer for me. I'm like, and I almost shot off at the mouth too, that he wouldn't be able to break it, but I didn't want to get to the second round on challenging Jay. I wanted to get there on, on, on merit, but you know, I made a really solid blade. Dave Baker even came out and talked to me. Like he was like, dude, you did great work. You know, I loved how you hammered in your distal taper. I love how you did this and that. Like, your work was super solid, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, cool. You know? So I got to hang out with Dave Baker for a little bit and got his praises on what I did. So That's awesome. Whatever. You know, we're good to go. Yeah, uh, I've heard lots of people say that you just have to remember it's a game show. And sometimes the, the cards don't fall in your favor. So... Yeah, it is. It is what it is. Like I say, I would go back again. I I just wish they would have edited it a little different. But that's that's is what it is. What my favorite thing to find out about it was is that it's legit. Like you don't know what you're making before you go. You know, until they pull the cover off, whatever it is, you don't have a clue. They will not tell you whatsoever. They won't even give you a hint. Huh? You know. Nice. So I'm. I loved that aspect of it. Like it was a complete mystery. But then when they uncovered it and it was hammers, I'm like, dude, I've made crap out of hammers. Like, let's go. Like, I'm going, this is perfect for me, you know? And I almost water quenched it too, because a lot of hammer steel, like sledgehammer steel, you can water quench it. Okay. But I'm going, but I made a thin piece out of it. It's not a big chunk like a, like a hammer, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. But like I said, it was, it was, it was just a ton of fun. I, I would. I want to go back and do it again, just so I can at least get to the second round, maybe, and, yeah. and watch Jay test my stuff, and or Ben Abbott, whoever might be there. I say it's just it will kill. It's a ton of fun. Doug. It will kill, yeah. Doug, I'm going to see Doug um, coming up pretty soon. He's going to be down here in Conroe in November. Okay. There's a, a Texas. Okay, so there's two Texas knife shows that are starting to get pretty 
big that I really wish more people would come down for. There's one in Conroe called the uh, Texas. I think it's just the Texas. That's the Texas Farrier Supply. No, that's the that's in Keenandale. That's a that's a hammer in that's coming up in November also. Okay. This is a, a knife show at it's at Southern Star Brewery in Conroe. And it's uh I want to say it's just like the Texas Custom Knife Show. This is what they, what they call it. Okay. And there's a Texas Select Custom Forged and Fire like this long thing, but it's just a Texas Select show. That's in Belleville. Now, I'll be down in Conroe. At my buddy Kevin Burgess, he has a table there, so I'll be helping him with his table. You know, he's he's been on Forge and Fire twice. He won once, and he came in second the second time. And he's he's one of the guys that's forty minutes away from me. He's just he's out in a smaller smaller area of Texas than I'm in, so he's just like right down the road. So I can go down there, and or he'll swing down and pick me up, and we'll go to these events. That's how he actually ended up going to Blade Show this year mm. because. I got him out of his shell. I'm like, dude, you need to start going to knife shows. You need to start exhibiting at knife shows. You know, people aren't going to just know your work because you're on a TV show that nobody really cares about. You know, I mean, in the vast, in the vast world of things, that show doesn't do anything for anybody's business. You know, it might put some people on the map, but I would say since season two or three, nobody's been put on the map because that show, you know, it's just something to do for fun. But, I say getting out into these knife shows, meeting people, having people put eyes on your work, meeting collectors and resellers, which that's going to be my goal next year at Blade Show versus just getting all excited and seeing everybody that I've been wanting to see, like getting to meet you and a million other people. I'm going to go talk to like Old Town Cutlery and which and it threw me off because I walked by their table and saw some of your stuff and I recognized your knives. I was like, these guys are ripping Kyle off. Like. (laughs) I didn't realize that they were a reseller. I just didn't know, you know. So, like, say, Old Town's one that I'm going to talk to. I think you mentioned Knife Center, I think. There's there's a couple of different people that I, I want to talk to and see if maybe they're interested in, in carrying some of my stuff. Because I I know that I can't go full-time unless I've got people like that out there that are going to be ordering 20, 30, 40 pieces at a time Yeah, that I can, you know, even if there's the small EDC pieces, some of my smaller carry, like this one that's pretty popular, is called the Supernova 2. It's a little harpoon clip, kind of like a skinner, but it's a, a pretty good carry one. Okay. I've actually got a skinning knife that's almost like a pocket Ulu. Okay. But I call it the bearded skinner because it also looks like a bearded axe. But uh, it's a great skinner, too. I sold one to a local hunting guide. It's only about a three and a half inch blade, but because of the crescent moon shape to it, you're able to get a long draw out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And with it being such a small blade, even he said he skinned two axis deer. No, three axis deer and one hog that he skinned out. Of course, it's not big enough to fill dress the entire animal, but just to get the get the hide off and get the guts out, it does great. Yeah. It's cool. I was like, well, dang, <laughs> you know? So like I said, that's, that's kind of cool. But yeah, like I said, I just trying to, trying to learn to actually market and learn who all these collectors and resellers are. is like a whole nother job. Yeah. And speaking of blade show, our la or the last but not least sponsor, uh, Phoenix abrasives, they were right next to me. So mm-hmm. I picked up a handful of belts from them and 
Greg came over to me and he goes, so I had, uh, I have this pack of nine uh, incinerator belts. Somebody who only wanted to buy one. You want the other nine? Because he goes, I know I'm going to just pick it up and hand it to somebody as a pack of 10. I'm like, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How much do I owe you? <laughs> so definitely check out Phoenix Abrasives and use discount code KP10 for 10% off your order. That's Rhino Wet. They're buffing stuff. Uh, mentioned some of the buffing compounds and stuff like that. Yeah, tons of really good stuff there. Yeah, Phoenix Phoenix are good guys. I, I've used, I use a few different belt companies. I'm not sponsored by any, so I, I can't be overly loyal. <laughs> but um, a lot of them carry kind of the same stuff, like that incinerator belt. I was not really sold on it at first until I got sent one actually by Broadbeck, and I fell in love real quick, and I abused that thing as much as I could. I actually wore all the abrasive off the edges yeah, and I still have enough in the middle that I can profile knives with. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're pretty amazing. And Phoenix carries such a huge variety of belts. Like if you can't find something at Phoenix, you got issues like <laughs> for real, for real issues. Yeah. Or, or you uh, don't click the uh, drop down in the right spot. <laughs> right. Yeah. All you got to do is click search two by 72 and everything will pop up. Yeah. They're the only people I know that actually carry a two inch wide uh, scallop belt. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I use the one inch wide ones a bunch for handle shaping and stuff, but yeah. Uh, yeah. The, and then uh, one of the other things you have to do is you have to select the, the size and the grit before it gives you a price. I got right. messaged by a whole bunch of people that said like, it's not, it says call for price. I'm like, did you put in the size and the grit? They're like, Oh, you got to do that. It's like, yeah, how else are they going to give yeah. you the price? Yeah, so. it's funny. Yeah, people, uh, people, some people just want <laughs> want like a yeah. People just want to like I want to click on it one time and know everything. Like then, no, you got to do a little more work than that. You know? Yeah. I remember the the days of dial up when you would click on to watch your packets go back and forth to get on the internet, and you'd go make a sandwich and come back and be like, "Yep, it's almost loaded. We're going to be on the internet anytime now." You know. Now everybody's like, if I can't click once and get what I want, I don't want to do with it. I'm like, what? <laughs> really? It's a it's amazing, like just not having a way to get on the internet. So right, you know, the one of the one of the kids I worked with, uh, we we had to use a three and a half inch floppy for one of the pieces of equipment we had. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, why'd you 3D print the save icon? It's like, oh my god, you're so young. That is great. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. That I never, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Super young. So, Neil, how can people get in touch with you? I am on Instagram at Maximus Knives. Um, I've got a YouTube channel with hardly anything on it, but I'm trying to get back into that. Uh, that's Maximus underscore knives. And then on Facebook, I have a Maximus Knives page also. Or you can just find me at Neil Warren on Facebook as well. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, you've talked about it a couple other places, but I really love that uh, it's kind of your son's name, the Maximus Knife stuff. So, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My, my, son, my son was definitely the inspiration for the brand name of the knives. You know, it, it yeah, like I said, I, I talked about it on the, uh, the work for it too, that you're going to be on with, with Brian Cohn. Like I say, it's one of those things where I hadn't talked about it a whole lot because 
I was really concerned about people thinking I was just trying to get pity or something like that, you know, because people are jerks sometimes. Yeah. But I got to honestly say, I really appreciate the amount of outpouring and support and honest love I've gotten from the community about it because it's tough having a special needs kid. Like some people don't get it. You know, they don't understand. They think it's just, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like people say, oh, my kid has ADHD because they don't want to spank them or something like that. It's it's not like that at all. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out what they need and, and take care of them and all that stuff when they when they aren't that great at communicating that with you is really tough. The realization that I don't know that he I, I want him to be able to, quote unquote, grow out of it or grow to a point of self-sustainability. I don't know that that'll ever happen, you know? So, and he loves mechanical stuff. I mean, this kid is so mechanically inclined to do whatever. He's never wanted play to like play tools. He's always wanted real tools. When he was four or five years old, I handed him a real wrench and he walked over to the door hinges and started to act like he was taking the doors off. And nice. he's never seen me do that before. He's never seen anybody do that before. Yeah. He never even watched Bob the Builder. Like, I was amazed. I'm like, how did he just know that that tool was used for something to do that with? Yeah. You know, like, it's just, it's amazing. But to be able to cultivate that into something useful for him in the future is a real challenge because tools are dangerous, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I'll have him come out in the shop and every time he's hammering on something, it's cold, you know, it's brass, it's copper. It's something that he can see the hammer marks when he hits it, but it's not going to hurt him. But he enjoys that kind of stuff. He loves seeing the finished products, you know, that I bring in, you know, I'll just show him like a handle sometimes like the one I just finished and he'll be like, Oh wow, that's so cool. But he said the way he says it's a little different, but you know, you know what he means? I know what he means. And when he saw me on TV, he like looked at me, he looked back at the TV, he looked at me, he smiled real big and he goes, it's daddy. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, that's me on the TV, you know? Mm -hmm. And I talked about it a little bit with them, but they didn't air it at all, mm -hmm. which whatever, fine. But, but yeah, like I said, it's just one of those things where, you know, if there's a way to, to give a child a legacy that they may not be able to give themselves, why would you not do that? You know? Yeah. I mean, and I've already talked to Brian Cohn and forgot who else. I forgot who else. Um, there's a guy that does, I think it was XB Forge, maybe. There's another guy, but in April, um, Autism Awareness Month, we're actually going to do a collab. B Cone has these uh, stainless knives that are done. So I'm going to take one of his stainless knives that are already ready to go. And I'm going to handle, handle it with, I'm either going to try to find some blue puzzle kind of material, or I'm going to just do like a blue handle for the autism okay. thing. And I, I want to try to find something that actually looks like a puzzle piece um, or puzzle pieces and use that as a handle. And uh, the other guy said he would put in something with it as well and do like an auction for autism research. Yeah you know, auction it off so we can give the money to a charity. And, uh, yeah. So that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Let me know if you, uh, need some help with that. I'd love to, I will, I will. Like that, too. 
Yeah, coming 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 up to coming up to you know February and March and all that stuff. I'll get on the ball with you know ramping up people to get involved with it. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of things, uh, I do have um, just today. I was alerted before the podcast that my and I made a post about it, but the uh, Maximus Knives Max Grip Hot Stamp Jig is actually now ready for production. Nice. So that is out and available i'm going to start doing orders on that um people can uh get a hold of me directly i'm trying to do the first hundred of them for 115 dollars shipped anywhere in the u.s if i can get a hundred straight up you know right off the bat ordered through i mean that's a a hundred people shouldn't be hard to reach you know yeah (laughs) and being such a handy tool i know like i say not everybody hot stamps everything but like say it's a very handy tool to be able to replicate and be consistent and it's universal because it's got a sliding back plate so you can clamp on to any size unless you got some kind of massive crazy weird hot stamp anything up to about an inch it's going to stamp on it's going to clamp onto. very cool so even if it's round or whatever if you got a it's got enough space. It's an inch and a half wide, and you can run about an inch back on it. So you got a pretty good space in there. But if you needed to put something, if you have a round stamp, for example, you could still put stuff in there to help clamp it down, you know, so that it won't twist or anything like that. And you just, like, raise it up a little bit, slide your knife under there, yep. hit it, put the next one under there, hit it. You know, like I say, it really makes it a lot more consistent for doing that kind of work. But I'm trying to talk to a couple of suppliers also um, that everybody knows <laughs> uh, that maybe they could start carrying it as well. Um, it is going to be made in Holland. I couldn't find anybody in the U.S. to make it for what I can get it made in Holland for. So it's not made in the USA currently. I'm also, because it's where it's being made, I can actually get it made and shipped here for less than I could get it made here and ship it out individually myself so i can drop ship a large number at a time if i have to nice so like i said that's actually handy that it's all being kind of still done real close to in-house and it's not being made with shiesty materials it's really thick industrial grade aluminum and stainless and everything so you don't have to worry about it rusting or anything like that either but yeah just to kind of give myself a shout out there. <laughs> yeah, very cool, man. Excited. Uh, I know you've talked to me a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. Not something that I do, but I uh, could definitely see it being useful for other people. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, uh, obviously I've been working on it and pr- and getting it produced for a while now because I started even before Blade Show making my own in-house prototypes and stuff like that um, with my limited tools. I don't even have, a jig at all i don't have a bevel jig i don't have a what do you call that thing that you clamp on file guide file guide yeah i don't have anything i literally freehand i rarely even use my my work rest to put a knife on i've always freehanded everything i'm not trying to sound like i'm something for doing that that's just how i always started because i didn't have the other things mm-hmm. I would love to get a file guide. I would love to get all that other stuff that would just speed up my process. But like I said, I just haven't been able to spend a little extra coin on them. But again, it's little tools like that, that people are producing and putting out there for the rest of the makers 
and trying to make them affordable, that's going to help speed up your process. You don't have to have a jig to hot stamp anything, but to be able to consistently replicate what you're doing, especially on a hot stamp, you can line up everything a hundred percent. You can even mark your anvil because it slips right into a one inch hardy hole. If you don't have a one inch hardy hole, it's aluminum. You can trim down your aluminum and shove it down in the hole and you're good to go. Yeah. Like it's really not hard to deal with at all. I mean, I, I had to do that personally on my own anvil. I'm, I milled out a bunch of one inch, you know, shafts on the thing. And <laughs> like, it didn't fit my anvil. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? So I had to go and taper it in and then bop it off in there. And I was good to go. So I say it's been a real game changer for keeping my, uh, my stamps consistent, you know, which obviously saves time and I'm not burning my hands. I'm not holding anything awkward. I'm not having a dick tongue, uh, you know, hot stamp. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Just to get anything done. So, yeah. Very cool, man. Yeah. Anything else going on with you? Or would you want to mention before we wrap this thing up? That's about all I can think of. You know, I'm I'm rocking and rolling, making some knives. I got some more folders that are going to be coming out. Yep. Those are very cool. I've got one that I'm going to design off of my buddy's GT500 paint job. So, that's going to be a fun one. He just got a new 2022 with the Heritage Edition and all that stuff. So, it's got this specific paint color and scheme that I want to try to replicate for the scales. So that's going to be a fun challenge. Yeah. You got to have a, you got to have a go knife too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, so it's just one of those things like Sam and I'm, I'm getting more and more into the friction folder thing. Eventually I'm going to get into, I think liner locks next. Cause that, that's something I like to carry personally. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot coming up you know, a whole lot to follow along with and see what's going to happen. Cause yeah, once I actually start getting machines, that'll help me be more precise and speed things up. The quality is only going to get better. Yeah. Very cool. Man. Sure. So you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com and you can keep in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at knife perspective. And you can find us everywhere on whatever podcasting platform you want to listen to. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland, Dogwood Custom Knives, dogwoodcustomknives.com, uh, Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram, and Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com for an uh, email address. He loves it when you guys message him. He just turned uh, turned another year older right before Blade Show, Noah. Uh, I put out a post singing him happy birthday, but apparently Instagram thought it was not good enough, so it, it squashed that uh, post quite quite hard so sorry dan hope you had a fun birthday and you can keep in touch with me kyle daly of cage daily knives cage daily knives.com uh, cage daily knives on facebook instagram twitter and tiktok and youtube too i want to start putting up some of my uh, knife maker tips as youtube shorts so keep an eye out for that want to try to have it be a little more cataloged so that uh can be around it a little bit easier for people to find. So thanks again, Neil, and hope you have a great day. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon. All righty. Thanks, everybody. Well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about
Peace.